listening to the VC20 Podcast, a space for meaningful conversations and relevant teachings. Yo, what's up, VC20? Grace and peace to you guys. So good to be with you. Tis the season. Starbucks has the Christmas cups. No, this isn't Bev Check, but I got some Starbucks in hand. No, I don't actually like Starbucks. And no, this is not a paid endorsement. Um, but sometimes you just need a good coffee. I don't know why I need it, because it's decaf, but nevertheless, I am what you may call an addict. I'm embarrassed to say that, because coffee people don't actually drink Starbucks, you know, but here we are. Uh, But I love the Christmas cups, y'all. I love the, I mean, I have my Christmas tree up already. Some of y'all might think that it's entirely too early. Uh, And to you, I would say, humbug, humbug to you. Because tis the season, and Jesus is alive. I think that's Easter. Jesus has come. I'm a, I'm a good pastor. I know what Christmas is about, y'all. Um, but it is Christmas. It is the Christmas season, whether you acknowledge it or not. But the sermon today has nothing to do about Christmas, now that that weird, awkward preamble is over. Uh, today's sermon, I'm actually talking about everybody's favorite subject, which is sin. If you thought I was going to say sex, then you need to get your mind out of the gutter. Although I, I suppose some of these sins have something to do with sex. Anyway, I'm continuing a series today that I kicked off last week on the seven deadly sins. Last week I talked to you about pride. Today I want to talk to you about envy. So let's just get right into it. Let me kick it off with a few definitions. I think uh, Thomas Aquinas defined envy best when he says this. He says, envy is simply sorrow at another's good. Or I love the way Dorothy Sayers uh, put it. Are you familiar with Dorothy Sayers? This woman was a powerhouse. She was a member of the Inklings. The Inklings was a literary group that was... uh, Uh, led by C.S. Lewis, and he was joined by other uh, literary juggernauts like J.R.R. Tolkien and the like, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. But it was a very manly affair, but but Dorothy Sayers actually infiltrated the uh, Inklings because her literary prowess was undeniable. Listen to how Dorothy Sayers defines envy. She says, Envy is the state of mind that hates to see other people happy. It asks, why should others enjoy what I may not. Now, now, how twisted does that sound? That I'm just going to be salty because you're successful or because you're more trendy or more thin or more popular or what have you, that I am going to sulk and fail to celebrate you because I think your success is an impediment to mine. You see, envy sees the world as a zero-sum proposition where there's only so much good to go around. So you having more necessarily means that I, therefore, have less. Now, we often use words like envy and jealousy interchangeably, but, but they're actually quite different. You see, jealousy is us being possessive over something that is rightfully ours. Now, this can get really, really gross when, when jealousy is born out of a place of, of deep insecurity or paranoia. But, but not always. Jealousy can, in fact, be a good thing. You see, I'm jealous for Elisa's affection because our marriage covenant means that all her love and affection belong to me. Scripture actually describes God himself as being jealous. God is jealous for you and for me because God created us. He, 
He sustains us. He, he bought us with the price of the blood of his son. And it grieves his heart whenever we hand over our worship to idols. See, scripture describes God as being jealous, but scripture never, ever describes God as being envious. If jealousy is being possessive of what is rightfully yours, then envy is coveting what rightfully belongs to somebody else. But uh, scripture itself has a lot to say about envy. Those were just a couple of man-made definitions. Listen to what the Bible has to say about envy. Genesis chapter 4. Cain murders his brother Abel out of envy. God, uh, God considers Abel's sacrifice more pleasing. And so Cain, uh, out of envy, murders his own brother. You see, sin had just entered the world in chapter 3. One chapter later... We see envy resulting in the first murder. Uh, the 10th commandment, God tells you and I not to covet our neighbor's stuff. Again, coveting is when you desire something that does not belong to you. The wisdom literature is full of warnings about envy. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Think about that with me for a second. Those of you who struggle and have experienced uh, intense envy, you know this to be true. There's almost this physical feeling. There's almost this physical weightiness and heaviness that sets in because of envy. Matthew chapter 27. Some of you may have missed this. I know I was shocked when I read this. But Matthew 27 actually tells us that the religious leaders handed over Jesus to be crucified out of envy. Out of envy. But we're actually going to camp out today in, a, in another story in the Bible. It's a story in the Old Testament from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. Let me, let me set it up with just a bit of context. At this point, Saul has been appointed the king over all of Israel. But because of Saul's disobedience, God has decided to anoint and appoint David to be his successor. Now, Saul knows that his time is soon coming to an end, but he doesn't know. It doesn't seem that he knows that David is the next man up. In fact, what we read in this story is that Saul is quite pleased with David. Saul um, uh, loved when David stepped in and murdered the Philistine giant Goliath. And thereafter, Saul gives David command over his armies and sends David uh, to execute all these missions. What David says, does so very, very successfully. Saul is pleased with David right up until... Right up until other people start take, taking notice of David's exploits. Let's read this in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 5. It says, Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So Saul was salty. He was angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the entire kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So like I said, here in this story, we see um, envy polluting Saul's heart. And uh, I want you to notice a couple of things from this story. Number one, 
um, is this. Most often, we don't envy somebody who is unlike ourselves. Here's what I mean. Saul envied David because Saul himself was the captain and leader of Israel's army, but David was also a mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. So Saul envied David. If you uh, desire to be a great singer, you likely aren't going to envy somebody who's a great teacher. The fact that they're successful doesn't bother you. You probably are going to look uh, enviously upon another singer, somebody who is perceived as more successful or more accomplished than you are. You're going to be thinking to yourself, who let that joker on the stage? Why do they get to lead worship and I don't? Here's another example. I don't envy artists. If you're an artist, God bless you. Your your gifts mean so much to the body and uh, people see Christ through you and what you're able to do, but but I just, I'm not sweating y'all because I have no desire to be an artist. You know who I envy? Preachers. I envy other preachers. As gross as that sounds, you know, pastors, when we get together, we do this thing where we try to find out how big each other's churches are without actually asking. Uh, whenever I'm on Instagram, it makes me so frustrated to see uh, people repost sermon clips from preachers who I, in my pride, think that I can preach circles around. And they're not actually preaching the Bible. They're just preaching some kind of self-help nonsense. But I I feel salty. I, I, I feel some kind of way. Or I hate seeing a preacher publish a new book. And they have the audacity to put their own face on the book. And that drives me insane because I feel like I should have written 17 books by now. But, but I can't even celebrate and rejoice in the fact that God is likely going to be using these books books and these sermons to bring people closer to him. Instead, I want what they have. I am a hater, y'all. It is what I do. Hating is in my blood. I say all that to say the place of your greatest desire is likely going to be the place where your envy resides as well. The place of your greatest desire is likely going to be the place where your envy resides as well. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Envy, the root of envy, the heart of envy is ultimately insecurity. It's that feeling that because someone is getting ahead of us, our self-worth is called into question. That because they they, uh, mean more, that I therefore must mean less. Because they have more, because they've accomplished more, then I uh, question my own self-worth, if you will. Uh, That's what comparison does. It results in this gnawing sense of inferiority. Saul was so concerned with David's successes among his officers and amongst these women. He was so upset that David was being lauded by these women that he becomes paranoid. He says, before long, they're going to give David my own kingdom. He was was so concerned with David's status that he was uh, afraid of losing his. Now, verse 10, we didn't read that, but let me read that for you because this really, really illustrates the destructive nature of envy. Verse 10 says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand. Now, let me break this verse down for you really quickly. What we learn here is that envy is actually a foothold for demonic influence in your life. Now, before you freak out, what I'm not saying is that everyone who struggles with envy is necessarily demon-possessed, but we must recognize, as Saul says, or as Paul says, rather, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, of evil 
in the heavenly realms. There are spiritual forces, dark spiritual forces at work in our world. And these forces prey upon unrepentant sin. Scripture tells us that, that the sin of unforgiveness will often lead to demonic influence or the sin of uncontrolled anger or unrepentant repeated sexual sin. And the same is true for envy as well. Envy can actually open the door to demonic influence in your life. And, and the result of this is that you're not just tormented by your envy, but you become imprisoned. You become ensnared. And you, you struggle not only with feelings of inferiority, you're not just tormented with feelings of depression or self-deprecation, but these feelings can actually be energized. And, and, and they're given a particularly destructive bent by these demonic influences. I'm talking to someone right now who knows something of what I'm talking about. You feel enslaved by your envy. You feel like envy has kept you in this prison and, and you're spiraling. You're eaten up by a lack of inner peace and your thought life is dominated obsessively. You're dwelling constantly on this other person that you're envying. You may not have a spear in your hand ready to kill them. and You may not even want to cause them physical pain, but you do gossip about them or you do try to slander their character, or if you don't know them personally, you, you relish in their failures and you long to hear stories about how they're failing. And if that's you, and envy feels like it's inescapable, inescapable, if it feels like it's holding you hostage, that envy might be being animated by demonic forces. But, but here's the good news. We have been given victory in Jesus and there is power in prayer. If that's you, you may want to make some version of this prayer your own. Just pray, I confess my envy of this person. I confess it as sin. And I renounce any demonic stronghold. And if if I in any way have opened a door to a demon, I rebuke that spirit now and bring myself fully under the control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That prayer was written by our own senior pastor, Rich Nathan, so you know it's got a little extra anointing on it. But but all kidding aside, uh, you need to take that demonic force captive and you need to bring it under the Lordship of Jesus. We rebuke that. We bind that spirit in the name of Jesus. We pray freedom for you. But here's the bottom line, y'all. Envy makes us blind. Envy makes us blind. Um, Dante, he was a, a medieval poet. He um, actually depicts the seven deadly sins. And the way that he depicts people who have succumbed to the sin of envy is they're walking around and their eyes are, are, are sewn shut with leaden wire. Again, to further illustrate this idea that envy makes us blind. Envy blinds us to all that we have been given by God. Envy blinds us to the way that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by the master. It blinds us to all the ways that we have been gifted and that we are, we are beautiful by design, handcrafted by the creator of the universe. Envy blinds us to the way that God is shaping us and forming us through all the things that we lack. Envy blinds us. So then, how do we see? What's the solution? I'm so glad you asked. If you want to overcome the evils of envy, you must pursue contentment. You must learn what it means to be content. Now, being content doesn't mean that you settle. Don't get it twisted, y'all. Contentment is not at odds with ambition or growth. These things 
are very, very godly uh, desires. The difference is if envy is rooted in insecurity, the contentment is rooted in total security. Contentment knows that there's nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. And there's nothing that I can do to make God love me any less. Contentment knows that this love that I've received from the Father is the only thing I truly need. It's what defines me and it's what validates me. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 that he has learned to be content. He says this in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, how does Paul arrive at this place of being content? How has he mastered the skill of contentment? What's actually helpful if you read the rest of the book of Philippians and in chapter three, Paul lists his resume and he tells these people, y'all better ask about me. If there was anything to boast in, I had it. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, um, I was part of the religious elite. I persecuted Christians and, and I am faultless before the law. But then Paul arrives at this conclusion. He says, I'm realizing now that all of that was a rat race because my soul has found the thing that it longs for. Listen to what he says in verses seven and eight. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. You know, I wish I could make this a little less lofty and a little more practical. But if it's envy that blinds us, it's the gospel that allows us to see. It's the gospel that reveals to us that if we were to have everything we, we ever wanted, it would never be enough. But if we have Jesus, we have all that we need. Let me do my best just really quickly to make this practical and, and offer you two ways that you can, you can practice contentment. Number one, um, I'm taking this straight from Pastor Rich from the message that he preached on envy all the way back in 2000. Pastor Rich says that the cure, the antidote for envy is true friendship and authentic community. And that makes good sense because if envy, if in your envy you're looking to ser- tear somebody down, authentic friendship is all about building somebody up. Uh, true biblical community is about sacrificing for the greater good of somebody else. So, so if you're struggling with envy, don't play the comparison game. You've heard this phrase before, but comparison is the thief of joy. Don't compare yourself any longer and instead focus on friendship. Focus on laying your life down for the blessing and benefit of friends around you. Here's another quick one. If you're struggling with envy, get acquainted with the sufferings of those around you and seek to serve. I know that I'm sounding a bit repetitive because I offer this to you as an answer to pride, but but y'all, if we would if we would get real and look past ourselves, if we would come to the end of ourselves and start serving, that would, that would be the antidote to so much sin in our lives because God calls us to love him and to love our neighbor. And it's in that loving of our neighbor that we can experience, that we can, we can come to terms with the revelation that, that God has richly blessed us. 
God has given us the best thing in the giving of his son. What more can we ask? We have salvation. We have been brought from death. We are alive. We are alive. God has so richly and immensely blessed us. But again, you guys, if you want to be content, consider the gospel. Just a few verses, or yeah, just a couple verses earlier, Paul says, whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, think on those things. Meditate, immerse your thoughts on those things, these good things, these fruits, these rewards of the gospel. If you want to be content, think about Jesus. Think about all that has been afforded to you in Christ. I don't know how to make it any more practical than that. And y'all, I wish this, there was an antidote. This isn't, uh, this isn't think about the gospel once and forever be content. You know, uh, maybe this analogy might be helpful, but, but ever since I had my stroke, I have to take a cocktail of pills every single night. And uh, I'm probably going to be stuck taking these pills for the rest of my life. I wish there was some shot or some giant pill that I could take once and for all that would cure me and heal me. But but every single evening, I have to take this group of pills. Uh, obtaining contentment is like like taking pills rather than getting a shot. You have to you have to take it over and over. We have to over and over again return to the beauty of the gospel and relish in all that has been given to us by God in the giving of His Son Jesus. Here's a prayer that I pray, and you might want to make this prayer your own. You know, I have ambition, y'all. I want to do great things for God. I want my life to count for something. I want to plant a church. I want to save a thousand. I want to save a million people through Alpha. I want to see revival in Columbus. And on my best days, these desires are oriented unto the glory of God. But on my worst days, y'all, and these, these days happen more frequently than I want. These things aren't oriented to God's glory. They're oriented to mine, my glory. I want to be the next preacher with the cool podcast. I want to be the preacher with the next bestseller. I want to be that guy. But here's my prayer. I pray this all the time. I make this a breath prayer. It's become a breath prayer for me. I say, God, give me enough contentment for today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. But give me enough contentment for today. Help me to relish in the Christ today. Help me to be in awe of the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life so that I might have it. And I take that contentment pill day after day, moment by moment, breath by breath. You might want to make that your prayer. In fact, y'all, I just want to end our time with a prayer. I'm going to take a quick swig of my Starbucks. It's probably like super cold by now. Oh yeah, it's cold and it's awful. But uh, there, here's a prayer that I found online uh, written by a pastor named Scotty Smith. I want to pray this over you. Now, Scotty uses some examples that probably aren't super resonant and relevant to you all. Scotty's an older man. You'll know what I mean when you read it. But you might want to replace some, some of his examples with some that, that are more honest and pertain to you and, and the things that you envy. Let me pray this prayer over us. In fact, before I do... Why don't we just take a moment and settle our hearts on the things of God? Let's set our minds on things above. Let's set our minds on things that are lovely, that are of good report. Come, Spirit. Help us to get real with our envy right now. We bring our sin before you and ask that you would prevail upon it with your grace. 
Come, Spirit. Heavenly Father, the tapestry of Scripture is both convicting and consoling. It is convicting because on a daily basis, sometimes hourly, I realize I can be envious of anyone in sight and covetous of anything within reach. I can get envious of people who have less hassles and more resources, people who can play harder and require less sleep, people who can eat a whole cake and still lose weight, extroverts who have limitless people energy while I constantly have to refuel my introverted tank. I don't cover my neighbor's ox or donkey, but I'd love to have their pain-free knees and lower back, ability to run every day and do every yoga stretch. I don't covet my neighbor's male or female servant, but I would love his or her ability to fix whatever breaks in the house, write songs, cook, or paint watercolor landscapes. But as convicting as these verses are, Father, they are even more consoling to me. Because through the gospel, I've come to realize and believe most of the time that all I really need is Jesus, plus whatever you choose to give me. You are a good and generous father. If I had everything I covet and want, it'd never be enough. Indeed, ingratitude is soul cancer. Comparison is heart disease. And envy is an idol factory. There's a Jesus-shaped void in our heart that only Jesus is big, beautiful, and bountiful enough to fill. Thankfully, he has, and he continues to do so. So very amen, I pray. In Jesus' matchless and magnificent name. Pray that's a blessing to you guys. Um, Grace to you. Thank you for listening to the BC20 Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for more sermons and intentional conversations. You can also check us out online at bc20.com.